0: Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 to 14. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which are purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We have covered already a a lot of ground this morning. And we looked at Ephesians 1, verse, um, verse 1 to 6, and we saw that Paul wanted them to know just how blessed they were to have all the riches they have in Christ. He started out by saying, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was excited to be able to write to those early Christians and us today about the added features, the blessings we have in Christ. We looked this morning at, at, at that in Christ we are significant, that in Christ we are sufficient, and that in Christ we are secure. So tonight we are going to continue where we left of this morning at verse 6. And as we read this text, it is obvious that Paul is excited about Christianity. In the, when, when you look in, in the Greek, these, these first 12 verses, the 202 words, form one long, very complex sentence. It almost seems as if, if Paul gets a little carried away. In fact, one commentator says, these verses are like a snowball rolling down the hill, going faster and getting bigger each second. As Paul writes about how God has blessed us and the benefits of being a Christian, he finds it difficult to stop for Paul, knowing Christ was clearly the greatest thing he could ever imagine. And friends, today it is my hope that God will use his word to remind us of the marvellous benefits of knowing Jesus. And to help us better realise be uh, and how great it is to be a Christian. Let's pray that this would happen. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that uh, that when we look at this this, uh, second part of this passage this afternoon, Lord, that you will open our hearts and our ears. Father, I pray that you will speak to us today. In Jesus' name. That we can become more and more, a little bit more, like your son Jesus. In Jesus' name. amen. Amen. Can anyone imagine what the theme of the, the Bible is? And that's my first point tonight. In Christ we have the spiritual blessing of redemption. Biblical redemption is a, is a gift that God purchased by his son's death. Redemption is the theme of the, the entire Bible from, from Genesis to Revelation. If someone asks you what is the theme of the entire Bible, you are correct in answering them by saying redemption. One great theological scholar by the name B.B. Warfield wrote, there is not one of the titles of Christ which is more precious to Christians' hearts than Redeemer. The problem is, what, what does redemption mean? The entire theme of the Bible is God's buying back a relationship with humankind. In the garden, Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God until the fall. And then from there on, all the rest of the Bible seems to be the story of God buying that same kind of relationship back again. God wants intimacy with us, just like back in the garden before the whole thing got broken. If you want to have a snapshot of what yours and my relationship with God is supposed to look like, then read Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 and following. There you will find that God and man commonly spoke to each other. The relationship with God was alive and vital. And while Paul uses the word redemption here, he is using a metaphor taken from the the customs of ancient warfare. It was a frequent practice for the conqueror to take captives, who could then be made slaves to work in all sorts of useful service. However, if they were people of importance, then they could be set free and restored to their rightful place by a process called redemption. And the word was also used in the the realm of slaves, who by going through an elaborate process could buy their freedom by paying a ransom. However the word is used, it is always that a person has been a captive of which they are totally unable to break free from. And yet they are set free due to the payment of a price paid for their redemption. And Paul uses this powerful word which paints such a profound picture of what we have in Christ. Because it so clearly demonstrates what happens when sinners are set free by Jesus. Redemption provides for us the, the forgiveness of sins in, uh, in verse 7 and 8. The primary result of redemption for the believer is forgiveness. Forgiveness. John the Baptist said it best when he first spoke about Jesus. As he saw Jesus coming to the Jordan River, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Forgiveness means that God has no record of any of our past sins. One man put it like this. He said it's kind of like God took our personal individual sins, bundled them all up and threw them into the deepest part of the sea and then placed a sign that said no fishing. Because of Jesus, we have total forgiveness. But that forgiveness comes at a price. That forgiveness came at a price and the price that Jesus paid for us was in blood. Shedding of blood, as used here in our text, is the same as death. Christ's own death, in giving his blood, was a substitute for our death. He made payment for what otherwise would have condemned us to death and to hell. In the Old Testament, the blood sacrifice of animals was continually offered on the altars of the tabernacle and the temple. And that blood was never intended and was never able to take away the sins of those offering the sacrifices. Those animals were only symbolic substitutes. Just as the order of Hebrews writes in 10 verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In 1 Peter 1 verse 18 and 19 we see that it was not with perishable things like silver and gold that Christ purchased our freedom from the condemnation of our sin. It is no wonder that John saw the, the four living creatures and the 24 elders singing, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. We are told that this forgiveness provided to us through Jesus shed our blood was given to us for a reason. Now we might want to think that we were selected to receive this benefit of redemption because of our goodness. Or possibly because we at least aren't as bad as someone, someone else we can think of. The bottom line that it is lavished on us with no connection to merit. The living Bible puts it that God showered down upon us his grace. When you get to know me a little bit better you will soon find out that I love coffee. Especially latte. Latte. And and so I was once having a coffee with someone and and we had finished our meeting and and we were ready to to pay the bill. And and as we were finishing, I noticed that the waitress brought the bill, then took it away again and then brought it back again. And I was thinking, what's going on? What's happening here? And then she placed it on the table and she smiled and said, somebody in the restaurant paid for, for your coffee already you're all set, and then she walked away. I had the strangest feeling sitting there, a feeling of helplessness. There was nothing I could do. It had been taken care of. To insist on paying would have been pointless, and and all I could do was trust that what she said was actually true, and then leaving that, which meant getting up and leaving the coffee shop. My acceptance of what she said gave me a choice to live like it was true or to recreate my own reality in which the bill was not paid. And that is our invitation to trust that we don't owe anything. To trust that something is already true about us. Something has already been done. Something has been there all along. To trust that grace pays the bill. So we find that one of the benefits of being in Christ is that we have had Jesus Christ pay in full the cost necessary to buy us back into the relationship with him. But there are other benefits. In Christ we have the benefit of knowing the real purpose for life. Christ followers have the deep answers for life's most problematic issues. Most people go through this life with no sense of purpose and direction. You probably have come across some. I've come across a lot of people like that during the pandemic. I remember walking to, taking my daughter to the playground and talking with people who suddenly were overwhelmed with fear and, and, and a loss of purpose, a sense, that they lost direction in their life. One French philosopher put it well when he wrote, the universe is indifferent. Who created it? Why are we on this puny mud heap spinning in infinite space? I have not the slightest idea and I'm convinced that no one has the least idea. It is not surprising that, that those who do not even recognize that God exists much less trust and serve him, do not have the least idea of what life, the universe and eternity are all about. Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men generously without finding fault, and it will be given to him. When God takes away our sin, he does not leave us in a, in a spiritual, moral and mental vacuum where we must work things out for ourselves. He lavishes wisdom and insight on us. He gives us the answer that have eluded humankind since creation. He has made known to us the mystery of his will. Paul's use of the word mystery here is ironic. Because what he is saying is a mystery to many who read this text. It doesn't need to be a mystery to us though. In Bible language, a a mystery is something that was formerly unknown, but but now is revealed. Because of being in Christ, we now are those who have revealed to us God's purpose in all things. What Paul reveals in this verse is that God's ultimate purpose in redemption is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together. Again, under Jesus Christ. What is interesting is, is that in most English versions of the, the Bible, there is an, an omission of a word which is key to understanding this verse. The word is again. And it occurs in the Greek in connection with the verb, bring on the one head. The verb is a strange one and its root is kephale, is, uh, which means head or headstone or cornerstone. The verb here in Ephesians 1 verse 10 has the Greek word ana linked to it, which means again. The word really says that it is God's purpose to bring together, unite or sum up all things again in Jesus Christ. In other words, everything was together in Jesus once to be united to him in the fall of Genesis 3 and will be reunited in him again by redemption. When times have reached their fulfilment simply means when it is truly finished and Jesus returns again and we will be going back to the way it was in the garden. Intimate communion with God always. So we find two benefits of being in Christ. Redemption, which is the buying back of humankind by God at the price of his Son. And the inside scope of on what God is all about in bringing things back again, united under the Lordship of Jesus. But there is yet one more benefit for being in Christ. In Christ, we have the benefit of being predestined to be a Christ follower. And that's what we can read in verse 11 to 14. We have the spiritual benefit of being chosen by God before time began. There is always something good about being chosen for receiving a blessing. We would not have expected that, for it is natural for us to, um, to accept that we make the initiative, that we decide whether to be saved or not. There is a place, of course, for the human will, and the New Testament never regards people as mere robots or marionettes moved about by God without regard for their own desires or the exercise of the free will that God has given them. But we are mistaken, however, if we see salvation as something we decide by our own choice. For the New Testament writers explain it to us by saying that the whole of our salvation, from first to last, is a work of God. Left to ourselves, we would never make the effort of giving up evil and turning to God. It is only because God works in us first, that we come to him. And because he does this good work in us, we have a deep assurance that we could never um, have um, even at all depended on ourselves. Man fell in such a way so that he is no longer capable of making even the smallest movement back towards God unless God first reaches down And performs the miracle of the new birth in him. And that is the view of scripture. The Bible says that we are dead in transgressions of sin and sins. Jesus declared, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. John 6, 44. The truth is clear from scripture. Humankind fell all the way when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the forbidden fruit. And at that moment, when they ate from the fruit, all of humanity was predestined to be separated from God for eternity. Their action in the garden sealed the deal. But God had a plan, whereby his own son would pay the penalty, the ransom, to redeem us back into a relationship with him. And God knows who will accept his son and who will not. Otherwise, we have a God who is not God. Not all-knowing and outside of time, the Alpha and the Omega. We are too hopelessly lost in sin ever to partake of God's great spiritual blessings on our own, Instead, God in his mercy chose us and then made his choice become reality in us. First, he made our salvation possible by sending the Lord Jesus Christ to die for our sin. And then he made us capable of responding to him by sending the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the truth and the glory of the gospel. We can have security in in knowing that we are marked in him with a seal of approval. That's what we find in verse 13. In his uh, commentary, uh, Charles Hodge points out rightly that there are three purposes for which a seal is used. And and each illustrates the Spirit's work. A seal is used to confirm an, an object or document as being true or genuine. Or a seal is used to marketing as as one's property. Or a seal is used to make something fast or secure. Each of these illustrates something important about the Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit verifies that the one receiving him really is God's child. As Paul says in Romans 8 verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are god's children the holy spirit is also god's claim on us that we truly that we truly are his possession the phrase god's possession is used explicitly in verse 14 <coughs> we also are secure because we have a down payment guaranteeing god's good intentions and this comes true in the idea of the spirit being a deposit or a down payment guaranteeing our inheritance until our full redemption. It's like a deposit given when when you rent a house or a flat, whereby we are not only promising to take care of the landlord's apartment by giving our word, maybe even signing a contract or a statement that says that we will be uh, conscientious in how we take care of the property, but the thing that really gives that landlord some sense of security is knowing that she or he has your money, guaranteeing that you will do what you say you were going to do. Guess what? God's word is always true. But he, as usual, goes beyond what is necessary and he blesses us by giving us a security deposit. Sealing with the Holy Spirit answers to all our needs. It assures us of of God's favour. It shows that we belong to him. It renders our salvation certain. So to conclude tonight, to God be glory. The bottom line to all this is that we have so much blessing and benefit from being in Christ. How should we live as a result? The answer, I believe, is found in the last words of this great opening sentence of the Apostle Paul. They are to the praise of his glory. It is an appropriate end, just as it was an appropriate beginning. In verse 3, Paul began by exclaiming, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Then after he has enumerated those blessings, he returns to the place from which he set out, saying that this is, To the praise of his glory. Twice in this long sentence of blessings heaped on blessing, Paul has declared in verse three, six, and again in twelve and fourteen God's ultimate goal in redeeming humans is the praise of his glory. We are not saved and blessed for our own glory, but for God's glory. When we glorify ourselves, we rob God of what is rightly His. He saved us to serve Him and to praise Him. We need to live our lives to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The question for you is, can you live that way? It means telling people about how God is working in our day-to-day life. What will we do tomorrow morning when we wake up and go to our work? What do we do when we meet our neighbours, when we see our friends around us who, who don't know Jesus, who don't know redemption and salvation and grace? What will we do? Will we be bold tomorrow morning or on Tuesday or Wednesday? And we will tell them, we will tell them about this grace. We will tell them about this redemption. That's up to us to to decide what we do with that. Do we keep it for ourselves or do we want to see the lives of other people changed? And allow God to do his amazing thing that he does best. And that's the saving of people. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you for your salvation. I want to thank you for your redemption. I want to thank you for grace. And it's a gift freely given to us by you. We don't deserve this. But you, in all your um, awesomeness, in all your greatness, you are longing to be in relationship with us. And Father, I want to thank you so much for your son, Jesus. That he willingly went to the cross and died for us there. I want to thank you for grace. I want to thank you for opening the way to, to the Father again. And Father, I pray that you will help us tomorrow in the days ahead of us. That we will share this amazing story with the people around us. And Father, we're looking forward to to see you at work. To see you at work in the lives of our friends, the lives of our colleagues. We want to see your kingdom advance here on earth. We want to see people being saved by you. So Lord, I pray that you will give us the boldness and the strength that we need to speak out about what we experience in our day-to-day life. And how we, we live according to your word. So, Lord, I pray that you will bless us this week ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen.